0: This is Truth Matters Church. Connect with us at truthmatterschurch.org. We've so far completed a comprehensive study of six of the letters to the churches in Revelation, and today we begin looking at the seventh and final letter to Laodicea. We'll begin with a brief but detailed history lesson, exploring the city and the environment where this church was located, in hopes to get a better context as we look forward and study Scripture. Leading our study is Pastor Alex Cattaroja.
1: Today is a, is a special study in that we are finally at the seventh and final letter to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And the title of our lesson today, an introduction to this letter to Laodicea. Uh, but as I mentioned in our introductory comments Uh, We will be looking at this letter, and we will continue to do what we've done throughout the other six letters of this book to the six churches. And that is try to get to understand some of the historical context and settings that were relevant to these churches at that time. So what we'll do is we will look to Scripture first, and then we will look at some historical backgrounds before we open the letter so let's look to Scripture first to see what Scripture has to tell us concerning this town or city named Laodicea. So if you look at Scripture, and if you were to do just word searches on this, the, the cities of these churches, only three of the seven churches are directly mentioned apart from this book, Ephesus, Thyatira, and Laodicea is mentioned. So if you were to if you had some sort of Bible software and you typed in Laodicea or the Laodiceans, you'll find that apart from Revelation, it is mentioned, but it's only mentioned in one epistle, and that is in the epistle of Colossians. So Colossae was near that ancient town of Laodicea, and here, as you can see in the map, the middle, um, it is off of that what is called the Lycus River. Uh, North of Laodicea is uh, Hierapolis, And then east of Laodicea, you can see there is Colossae. So the reason why Laodicea was even mentioned in the book of Colossians is because it is in the neighboring town. And that is within the region of the city and town of Colossae. So what I like to do is because Scripture does give us some mentions of Laodicea, I'd like to look at those mentions in Paul's letter there. In Colossians 2, uh, the first three verses, Paul writes there, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Paul makes mention here of those who are in Laodicea and for those who have not personally seen my face. So that could be a clue there. If you were to ask me, you know, did the Apostle Paul actually meet the believers or the church in Laodicea? I would probably say likely not. Uh, So if you were to ask me, just in kind of looking at what the Scripture has to offer... You know, I, I don't think Paul would be the church planter. Not to say that his ministry might not have been responsible for the establishment of that church. You know, let's say when Paul had a stay in Ephesus, it's very possible that there were some who were from Laodicea that were converted at the preaching of Paul while he was at Ephesus for those two or three years, and then you know that message uh, got brought back to Laodicea and the believers there congregated and and became a church. So Paul could have been you know responsible. Uh, but as far as being the actual church planner in Laodicea, because Paul makes mention there about not personally seeing his face, I would say probably not. But there's something uh, that we can glean off of this mention of Laodicea. You know, Paul mentions wealth, and he mentions treasures. So just by Paul even mentioning the Laodice- you know, those who are at Laodicea and then also mentioning wealth and treasures is already an indicator that Laodicea is characterized as a city of wealth and a city of treasures. And we're going to see, as we, even as we look at historical backgrounds, that is in fact the case, and that will help us understand when our Lord renders an assessment and even quotes them as far as their social and economic standing. Uh, another mention of Laodicea in Colossians was in chapter 4. And, you know, what I love about the Apostle Paul and his letters, he does make it a habit of writing down the believer's name, those involved in ministry by name. You know, it's, it's very instructive for those of us who are, in, you know, who are in ministry, uh, as if we can learn from the Apostle Paul, you know, no one can do a ministry on their own. And we know that even in the real world, you know, if we have if we have a job or if we if we're trying to accomplish something, we can only do so much by ourselves. We really need the help. And, and the skills and the energies of other people. Well, that's no different in ministry. And then when we get to Colossians 4, Paul is listing believers name, uh, believers by name who are involved in his affairs. So we'll pick it up in verse 12. He says, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him, Epaphras, that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So Epaphras, who Paul mentions here by name, he was part of the church in Colossae. So Epaphras is from Colossae. But he also had it in his heart to pray for the believers in the neighboring towns of Laodicea and Herapolis. And a couple of verses later in this chapter, he continues to mention Laodicea. Let's pick it up in verse 15. He goes, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And for you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. So in in verses 15 and 16 here, we're introduced by a woman by the name of Nympha. And she was from Laodicea. And Nympha opened up and offered her home for the church in Laodicea to meet at her house. So a little little pop quiz here. You know, if you wanted to go to church in Laodicea, who's where the church meet? You'd go to Nympha. So Nympha would have been a known name among the believers at the time that Paul penned this letter. The church met at Nympha's house. And here's why Paul instructed the believers in Colossae to circulate his letter to the church of the Laodiceans who meet at Nemphis house. And as you study scripture, you know, the epistles, you know, you know, the, the word of God that were were recorded and, and written by our apostles or their associates, and when they were, you know, let's say written to Colossae, the The letter was intended to be a circular letter. Even Paul's here saying, hey, my letter, make sure you share it with the Laodiceans so they have the letter too and and so forth. So the epistles back then, it wasn't all collected, but when the churches were the recipients of these letters, it was a circular letter, so it is shared among the churches. And Paul is instructing that here concerning his letter. Now there's something interesting at the latter verse of a latter part of verse 16. You know, Paul says, and for you, the believers in Colossae, your part, he goes, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. And if you were to even try to study this, um, there's been some conspiracy theories you know, alleging that there are some lost letters of Paul. You might mention, you know, uh, you might hear uh, even some other epistles such as Judas. Um, here Paul makes mention that there is a letter from him that is coming from Laodicea and there has been some speculation alleging that Paul there is a lost letter of Paul out there because he wrote, you know, from Laodicea but I would kind of put the the brakes there because it didn't say that, you know, Paul didn't say read my letter that I wrote while in Laodicea. He's saying from Laodicea as I mentioned earlier Paul's letters were circular, so it could very well be that one of his letters that was in, you know, that was from Laodicea. He's saying, making sure that that is also continuing to be circulated. So, if you were to ask me, without getting too much on a on a sidetrack here, um, when Paul says, "For your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea." I would say it's likely one of Paul's existing epistles that was being circulated in addition to the, the letter to the believers in Colossae. But you know, in a nutshell, here we can just see that that was the mention of Laodicea or Laodiceans apart from the book of Revelation. And I guess out of all this, you know, if what we can glean from here is okay, the wealth and treasures part is definitely characteristic of this letter. That's one of the clues that we got. And we know that they did exist even at the time of Paul and that this church in Laodicea, when by the time we get to 95, 96 A.D., at the pending of this letter, they've you know, been in existence for you know, some maybe 30 years or so that they've been there. So it's not something, it's not, they're not a new church by the time they get this letter. So that's what Scripture had to say about this city. Now, let's look onto history and historical backgrounds. I'm not going to even try to say the existing city name. I, I do not know how to pronounce this, but I'll just say Laodicea is in central Turkey. How about that? And it is located on the southern bank of that Lycus River that we saw on the map, and it's west of Colossae. And if you're you know, studying scripture, uh, you know how Galatia is the region of Galatia, it's a region. Uh, In Paul's day, what covered the region that included Laodicea was called Phrygia. And it is also known, this town, as Laodicea on the Lycus. And if you remember on that other map, there was that Lycus River, and it had a nickname, it was Laodicea on the Lycus, or you can even say off of the Lycus River. And as far as this town, it's being founded, it is by the Greek king of the Seleucid Empire, Antiochus II, who reigned sometime in the 3rd century B.C., about 260 to 246 B.C. And this uh, Seleucid Empire was one of the empires that came after the death of Alexander the Great, after the conquered world at that time was divided. And then so sometime after that, this Greek king of this Seleucid Empire, Antiochus II, He's the one who's being, who's attributed in antiquity as being the founder of this town. And even its name, you know, how did Laodicea get its name after his wife or queen? Laodice. So Laodicea was founded by this Greek king, Antiochus II, who named it after his wife, Laodice. More into historical backgrounds and history, Laodicea is known There it is for its wealth and prominence, especially during Roman power. Uh, So what happened was, if you were to look at history, at around 133 BC, Rome relocated the main trade route through Asia Minor, and in relocating that main main trade route, it made Laodicea the site of major crossroads of of the known world at that time. So from... 133 BC until we get here close to 180 by that time the city became one of the richest cities in the known world what would we consider the the richest city here in this world right now New York York? it would make sense because the stock markets there financial markets Carmel (laughs) right but when we start to think about these towns that have, you know, that is characteristic of wealth. How about Beverly Hills, you know, as far as where the wealth is? You know, that's where the wealthy goes, right? There's, there's certain, the Hamptons, so that's what, in the East Coast. So that idea of wealth, it, that's part of your reputation. Laodicea was one of that in the known world at that time. So if you lived in Laodicea, you're definitely doing pretty well economically, uh, at least if you owned something or lived there, maybe you could have lived in poverty there. But if you weren't, then you were well off. Another thing about Laodicea at that time is it was known as the banking center in its day, and the business of money changing prospered. So the kind of the illustration of maybe New York kind of being the, the center of the financial markets, that would at least be similar from an historical standpoint of the significance of Laodicea now as far as Laodicea how did it become a wealthy place Uh, one of its source of its wealth and and they were known from its wool of its black sheep so it was famous for its black and dyed wool so black sheep black dye, black wool that was one of the source of its wealth and it was a characteristic of it for this town, and another source of its wealth was there was this production of this. How do I don't even say that is that Pultice p o u l t i c e. I might be saying that wrong. But one of its other source of its wealth was not only in the its black and dyed wool from its black sheep, but there was this production of this, and it was this treatment of eye ailments. And you can see here, I try to get a picture here uh, on the right here. You know, if you were to take, you know, whatever that you know, plant or, or root, whatever it was that they, they mashed together, it was used as a treatment for an eye ailment or eye salve, eye salve, what you would put over your eyes. And then when we read the letter of Laodicea, we'll hear the words from our Lord about eye salve and you know putting it over their eyes but you know really what we're learning when we're studying these letters is that oftentimes when our lord is talking to the believers in that town he is picking up on characteristics of that town that its readers would know and understand of what he's talking about and that is no different when it comes to the church in Laodicea uh, another kind of interesting fact about Laodicea because it was one of the cities in its time, known for its wealth and riches, um, it is what was characteristic of its buildings: marble. You know, marble even nowadays in interior decorating. You know, marble is a is a statement piece. You know, whether it's your your your, your center island or table. Uh, and now you're going to some places, and when you see marble walls, that tells you, okay, we use the word bougie or expensive. Well. Laodicea was known for having buildings with its walls made of marble. So when you would walk in, it would be pretty impressive. It would look very expensive. Hence, that was one of the characteristics of this town. What Laodicea was, was similar with, as far as the other letters to the other churches, is in its district, there were temples and shrines of ancient deities, you uh, saw so a lot of the similar names, Apollos. I don't know, if, is it ISIS, I-S-I-S? Isn't that one of the, <laughs> known, one of the known terrorist groups um, nowadays? Anyways, there was a, one of the gods of its day was ISIS, Zeus, Athena. And I had to do a spell check here, men. How many have heard of the god of men, M-E-N? Not just men, like man and woman, or mankind, but there was an actual god named Men. Uh, Asclepius, Dionysus, Aphrodite. So this is similar to the other churches that had uh, temples and shrines erected to these Greek gods. Uh, So pretty much when Alexander the Great took over the world at that time, spread this Hellenistic culture of Greek gods and mythology, and that infiltrated the land and the world at that time. And that did not go away by the time we got to uh, the writing of this letter. The influence was still there. And there are historical you know, findings, uh, archae- archaeological um, discoveries that are supporting and, and confirming the fact that this ancient town had temples and shrines to these various gods. And, and, I, met, and I put here on notes, you know, if you kind of look at the first century churches, especially spread out there, in Asia Minor, and now what is Turkey, you know, these towns, you know, under Roman rule, um, they did allow for the freedom of religion in worshiping these different deities. And, of course, as we've been learning, it's not limited to them, it is also Caesar is one of those deities, and when it comes to the the hierarchy of the deities, as long as you say, Hail Caesar among them all, then you can worship anyone else you want. Uh, So this idea of kind of freedom of religion, if you were to think, you know, did that really begin with our form of government here in the United States with one of our rights and liberties for being a citizen? Uh, No, this idea of freedom of religion, uh, at least that idea was... You can even say supported by the Roman Empire back in ancient times. Um, more archaeological discoveries, you know, if they're looking at these, this ancient city, they're even going further back from this first century church and are finding some archaeological, archaeological discoveries of more ancient cities of this town. So what was it before Laodicea? It was also known in more ancient times as Roaz or Dispolis. In other words, the city of Zeus. If you were to go even before the first century church of Laodicea at that time, you were to go even way further back. That town or that area was also known as the city of Zeus. Hence, that influence and the worship of Zeus continued to remain even there. Historians also tell us that at around 81 AD, so this is about 15 years before the penning of this letter, there was an imperial temple dedicated to Domitian. And and we've we've learned this in past studies, you know, um, back then. You know, if a town, or if a town, or if, or even say, like I said, the emperor was going to offer the, the erection of a statue for it to be worshiped, and it had to be in a certain town that the towns, quote unquote, kind of had to bid for it to be given that right to be able to build that temple. Well, historians tell us that when it came to Domitian, Laodicea had a temple erected in his honor. And in fact, uh, this temple not only had monument or statue erected to Domitian, but it also had gates uh, named Ephesus dedicated to Domitian. So all that is to say, just like the other, similar with the other churches, this city and town also had influences of other deities and even the imperial cult. A little more into history. Does anyone love history yet? Yeah, it's all right, right? I'm starting to get comfortable with it, too. You know, history was not my favorite subject I mentioned, at least going on, as uh, you know, growing, going through the education system. Uh, but when it comes to studying the Bible, we can't escape history because it is his story, and history is a reference point by which we see God work. Now, according to Josephus, Antiochus Third, the great, Settled 2,000 Jewish families in Phrygia and Lydia after their Babylonian deportation. So what Josephus's writings tell us is, so you know how you mentioned earlier there was Antiochus II who named this town after his wife Laodice? Well, Antiochus III, who was also called the Great, uh, Josephus in his writings tell us that 2,000 Jewish families or from their Babylonian deportation, they ultimately migrated in this area. So by the time we get to the penning of this letter, there's definitely Jews who have settled there from the Babylonian captivity. And there's a Jewish presence in Laodicea. And Josephus notes that the Jews were granted an exemption by the city magistrates in the worship of pagan deities. And we see this even when we, stu- when we read the Gospels. You know, the Jews were allowed, even, even let's say under you know, the Roman rule, and let's say even ever, under the governor Pontius Pilate, they were allowed to continue to be Jews in their religion. Remember, they were kind of a freedom of religion. Uh, So Josephus notes that the Jews were granted an exemption in the worship of pagan deities by the city magistrates. So the Jews that were there continued to hold to their their Jewish ways, and they were able to uh, get that exemption to not have to worship pagan deities. Because even when you read just kind of the the history and and the the turmoil between the Jews and the Romans and Pontius... uh, Pontius Pilate was you know part of that sometimes you look at history you can see that when it comes to the Jews they were definitely zealous and definitely uh, you know proud of their religion and then anything that would potentially violate that can cause an uproar but Josephus tells us that when we get to Laodicea that the Jews were granted an exemption of the worship of pagan deities which means if the Jews settled there it's also very likely that they too enjoyed the economic benefits of living in a rich city and town. Uh, a, a little more about the historical backgrounds before we get to the letter. In Laodicea, by the time we get to the penning of this letter, it was a fully developed city. You know, it had a city council, it had public latrines, it had a gymnasium, a water distribution system, cemeteries. And uh, history tells us even a couple of theaters that can hold about 20,000. And it also had the largest stadium in Asia Minor at that time. Capacity is about 25,000. And that stadium was dedicated to the Roman emperor Vespasian. And from what we can glean as far as the use of this large stadium in Asia Minor, that it was used for athletic games... Uh, but also, there's indications there, some gladiator contests. So, back then, the ancient stadiums, you know, when we see even the movie Gladiator or anything along those lines, yeah, there, there is some, there's some uh, history there that corroborates that that was, in fact, the case even here. Okay, we're going to get a little more interesting uh, kind of factoids when it comes to Laodicea. So, during the Roman period, Laodicea was known for its medical schools, its textile houses, a complex water system, and that's alluded as we'll see in this letter. And their school of medicine was connected to the temple of the god men. Remember I mentioned earlier there was an actual god named men. Well, when it comes to Laodicea and their medical schools, it was connected to the temple. So if you're kind of like you know, kind of following pharmacy uh, and 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 you know medications and things like that. Uh, at least here in this ancient world, this school of medicine was connected to the temple of this god. Men. When you get before the writing of this letter, let's say fourth or third century BC, there was a physician by the name of Herophilus of Chalcedon, and this physician so we're we're going way back you know maybe you know a few hundred years before there is this physician who conducted experiments on prisoners to advance medical science you know I know we might not think about that but sometimes the advance of medical science has to come at the cost of experimenting on someone else so I guess back then what better to experiment than with prisoners And that paved the way, ultimately. So beginning that 4th, 3rd century experiments, you know, under physician, Herophilus, even from there, going forward, it paved the way for the understanding of the anatomy, especially of the eye. Hence, Laodicea, by the time we get to this letter, they were known for their medical school as it comes to the relation to the eye, and they're also known as part of that their eye salve or eye medicine, and I think this is the last last slide here on the historical context. Near Laodicea, as you can see, um, earlier on the map, I it was just a plain map, but this one, you know, hopefully, kind of helps pinpoint the the neighboring towns and the water systems because this is going to be important for us to keep in mind when we try to understand you know why did our lord mention when you're neither hot nor cold but are lukewarm i'm about to spit you out of my mouth well we're going to need to understand the historical backgrounds and we will see that this is drawing from its neighboring towns so near laodicea in the town north of it there was hierapolis and Hierapolis was known for hot springs. And to the east of Laodicea, there was Colossae, and they were known for cold springs. And I think about maybe in the Colorado Rocky Mountains, we're known for, they're known for their Rocky Mountains or cold streams. Well, Colossae would be similar to that in that they were known for their cold mountain water. So unlike those cities, Laodicea, it didn't have hot water like Heropolis, nor did it have cold springs like Colossae. So Laodicea, when it made its water system to draw water into the town, by the time it made its way to Laodicea, let's say they were to get it from the hot springs of Heropolis or the cold springs of Colossae through its aqueduct system or whatever. By the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm and it was full of mineral deposits, it wasn't very good. How many of us have drinking water, and it, let's say it's lukewarm, or, or there's something in it, there's a bad taste, what do you do? You spit it out. So if you lived in Laodicea and you got this lukewarm water with full of mineral deposits, you're familiar with spitting out that water. And that helps explain the as, uh, the characterization of them as being lukewarm by our Lord. I'm telling you, our Lord, He's taking their their situation and He's speaking directly to them. And when He says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth and you're neither cold nor hot, they can relate because they understand that by the time they get to that water system, or that water system gets to them, it is lukewarm water that has a bad taste. And we're going to talk more about that when we get to that portion in the letter. So that's really the the historical backgrounds and settings. I think we have enough to at least now start to open up the letter. We look to scripture. We look to historical backgrounds. We're getting some idea of the historical setting and even kind of how the world was at that time. So now when our Lord opens his lips, I think we have at least a better chance of trying to glean what he is communicating
0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Truth Matters Church. While sometimes getting through a detailed history lesson can be difficult, it does give us a healthier foundation and more accurate context as we study Scripture. So next week we open the final of Jesus' letters to the seven churches in Revelation as we begin examining the church in Laodicea. If you've enjoyed our expository study, please consider joining us in person or online. We meet Friday nights details at truthmatterschurch.org. Contending for the faith one verse at a time, this is Truth Matters Church.